Hello everyone and welcome to Shot Reverse Shot. I'm Matt Risby, alright? And joining me as always via the miracle of satellite technology, his whole life was a million to one shot. It's Ed Davis. How the devil are you, sir? I'm good. I've definitely heard that tagline before. I know it's a sports movie of some variety. I'm going to say Seabiscuit. Oh, so close. Um, it was Rocky. Ah. Um, that's one of the great missed opportunities that Rocky never got to fight Seabiscuit. <laughs> um, because even even though it's man versus horse, it's no less ridiculous to the bit where he fights Hulk Hogan in number three. No, but it also would have been a great opportunity to have used one of the all-time great taglines, uh, whoever wins, we lose. Mm, yeah, yeah. Which, yeah. Well, that was Aliens. Was Aliens versus Predator? It is, yeah. Although yeah. In, in the case of Rocky versus a horse, I think it would have had to have been changed to whoever loses, we win. Hmm. Or if Rocky wins, we get lots of glue, <laughs> yeah, which would have been a very glib tagline. I'm been kind of like waylaid by the heat today in England. We have got a sudden heat wave, which, uh, in a kind of global warming sense, I can't see any cause for concern. Given <laughs> given that eight days ago it snowed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it really it's all evening out. Mother Nature kind of that you know it maintains its own balance. We're all fine. Mm. We're not, yeah. we're not just uh, slowly boiling frogs. It's fine. Mm. I feel like I'm kind of moving through very lazy levels of a computer game. I'm waiting <laughs> for a, a desert level, a snow level, forest level. It's all happening. We promised you last week uh, that we would give you the the middle part of our sex, drugs and rock and roll trilogy and not wanting to disappoint you, but also disappointing you knowingly. We've not done that because we're going to talk about uh, a film that we both saw this week a film called Captain America, colon, Civil War. And there's we probably wouldn't ordinarily have talked about this film outside of our regular kind of news roundup. But we decided we would, mainly because of the reason that Ed really liked it and I kind of didn't. Yeah, this is our own Civil War. This is what the whole podcast has kind of been building up to at this point, our having a mild Pacific Rim-esque disagreement about a film. Mm. <laughs> the mild Pacific Rimest disagreement of 2014 was probably about as heated as this podcast has got. Yeah, that was. I think that's still probably the great fissure. Really, I think this is this feels like it's been bubbling under for all the years since then, much as the rivalry between Captain America and Iron Man has been. Mm. All these seething resentments I've been like <laughs> kind of keeping under the surface that are about to come pouring out, and I'm... your your anger at my constant references to Jaegers. <laughs> yeah yeah it was it did it make any money pacific room because jaeger bomb would have been like <laughs> a headline too good not to use i think it did just well enough that that pun didn't get deployed but it, mm. yeah if, if it had like grossed 50 million dollars total worldwide jaeger bomb would have been the absolute perfect headline i've got a better one actually if it did really well in its opening weekend but then really dropped off you mm-hmm. could have gone for Jaeger Mega Dive. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's pretty good. Ed. You got, you got, you got to admit that's pretty good. Um, but anyway, we're not here talking about fucking Pacific Rim. I'm not going back there again. We're here talking about Civil War. Now, I'd just like to say and put this out there at the start of this podcast that I did not hate Captain America: Civil War. I very much enjoyed Captain America. I would say that Captain America is my favorite of the Marvel movies. As would I. I think it's definitely high up there for me. Yeah, I would. I'd also say that I very much enjoyed the Winter Soldier. Uh, It was a kind of a cool kind of seventies conspiracy vibe. That you know, I kind of like those things. And also, when I sat down to write my notes about this, about what I didn't like about the film, there wasn't a huge amount that I didn't like. There was. It was just overall as a film, it kind of just felt that it moved away from what I enjoyed about the first two. Yeah, I mean, I, I'll i preface this. First off, I think we should probably say there's going to be spoilers in this because mm. there's there's. Uh, I think there's no point in talking about this if unless we can talk about specific things that worked and specific things that, that didn't work. Uh, I would say I would categorise my experience of watching uh, Civil War as uh, that I spent about half of it being really excited about films that are going to come out 
Mm-hmm. And then the second half being excited for the film I was actually watching. Because mm-hmm. the first third or so, I was watching it thinking, you know, I bet that Ryan Coogler Black Panther film is going to be really good. Mm. And then I spent a bit of it thinking, you know, I think that uh, the, the new Spider-Man looks like it's going to be pretty good. And then finally, at a certain point, I was like, I'm really enjoying this film now. And mm. I feel like even though it was delayed in how the point at which I actually felt that the film finally clicked for me, uh, once it did start working, it started working well enough that it, I, I, on average, I ended up really enjoying it. Mm. But it did have, unlike Winter Soldier and particularly unlike uh, the first Avenger, which I do feel is a film that is kind of uh, paced kind of perfectly and has a, a kind of a wonderful tone to it. Uh, those films, I kind of felt they were entertaining pretty much all the way through. This definitely felt like there were very long lulls. Mm, yeah, yeah. I'm going to start with my biggest bugbear about the film, mm-hmm. which was even in such a crowded field, it appeared to be Marvel's most cynical film to date. Mm-hmm. And I was reminded quite heavily of... Do you remember in The American Office, Ed? Do mm-hmm. you remember in... I think it might have been the last season. There's just an episode where they spend all episode hanging out with Dwight Schrute's before... As as kind of not mentioned before family. Right. Uh, they go to a funeral and uh, all of a sudden we meet his brother, uh, who we've never met before, and sisters and cousins... And hey, they've all got kind of quirky backstories. And um, hang on, guys, does anyone remember this is a show called The Office? But we don't see the characters from The Office. We spend all the time with the Shroots. And at the end, they say, oh, we better take on the running of Grandad's farm. And then it ends. And I found afterwards in TV parlance, that is called a backdoor pilot, a way of making uh, a pilot for a show in the main series of the show that it's going to spin off from. I felt like there was a lot of that going on in uh, Captain America. They backdoored in a Black Panther origin story, uh, mm. so they didn't have to spend time doing one. And they certainly backdoored in, with a pretty sizable crowbar, the Spider-Man origin story, so they don't have to do that for the fourth time in two decades. And uh, it, whereas in the previous Avengers films, there had been a lot of it kind of like, oh, here's Andy Serkis. Oh, he's gone again. Oh, I th- maybe he'll come back for mm. something next time this was like guys we've got a spider-man movie coming out this is the new spider-man hey isn't he cool here he is for if you boil it down literally no reason yeah i mean, I, i've started to refer to those things and i'm pretty sure someone else already to- uh, coined the term as a franchise obligations mm-hmm. which is that moment when in a film they just kind of have to go Oh yeah, and by the way, there's this guy, you know, he's just going to be here for a few minutes and then he'll come back later maybe. Uh, and I I personally didn't find the franchise obligations in this film, which as you say are introducing those two characters and also Aunt May and making a lot of kind of weirdly pointed jokes about the fact that uh, Aunt May is now played by Marissa Tomei and how she is way younger and more attractive than most versions of Aunt May are which kind of felt like either addressing concerns that have already been made about the fact that, you know, uh, Marissa Tomei and Robert Downey Jr. are basically the same age. Mm -hmm. And he is like a mega millionaire superstar of uh, huge action movies and she gets to play someone's aunt in a mega expensive superhero movie. Um, But uh, I didn't mind those things, the introductions of those elements, as much as, say the scene in Avengers Age of Ultron where Thor goes into a pool and has an abstract vision for no good reason. (laughs) Because at least they were delivered, for the most part, I felt with a kind of a certain degree of charm in the, and certainly in the case of, of Tom Holland as, as Peter Parker, um, like his first scene where he, where Tony Stark comes to his apartment to recruit him for reasons that aren't particularly well worked out (laughs) Mm -hmm. or particularly well explained in the film, other than that they finally had the rights to Spider-Man. Yeah. Uh, it definitely felt like something that was probably added at the late stage when they finally ironed out all the details with Sony. But like he was, he was so funny. Their relationship with each other, and Tony just kind of like saying "Spider Ling, Spider Boy." <laughs> where it's like, mm. then he's like "Spider Man." He's like mm. really embarrassed, and like it was such a lovely introduction to their version of Peter Parker, and kind of saying what, and kind of seeming to say, you know, we finally got him right this time. Mm. Which is which is great because you know that, that he's Spider Man is a, one of my favorite of the Marvel 
a stable. Uh, so like I didn't mind him so much, and I thought that Chadwick Boseman was introduced really well, and I did like, even though I don't feel like they gave Black Panther enough to do, they did enough to make me think, oh yeah, you know, the Ryan Coogler Black Panther's going to be pretty cool. Mm. I think I did enjoy the Spider-Man introduction. I enjoyed the interplay between uh, Robert Downey Jr., uh, Marissa Tomei, and uh, Tom Holland. But I probably would have liked it more at the start of a Spider-Man movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, like, for instance, what? why did Spider-Man join the fight other than the fact that they got the rights to Spider-Man? Mm. Why did Ant-Man join the fight other than the fact that Ant-Man was kind of fun? Mm-hmm. Like, what was at stake for those two with the Sokovia Accords? Like, is it their future as superheroes? Because they've only just become superheroes and neither of them very successfully or in any kind of measure of anything. But like, why would they suddenly risk their lives to fight other superheroes over an issue that doesn't really actually apply to them? Yeah, because they're not actually Avengers. Yeah, and, and they're not su- they're not actually like fully fledged superheroes doing their own thing anyway. Fucking Ant Man's a criminal. <laughs> it's just a burglar. Yeah, it it definitely felt like they wanted two bugs on either side. Mm. And that was about it. And they and they wanted to kind of have uh, those two characters fight against each other. And um, that, to me, kind of event was kind of part of the, the kind of the gleeful comic booky joy of it all. Like one of the things that's fun about comic books is that they will have things where they go, "Hey, we're just going to have all these characters fight against each other." And that was the most enjoyable part of the film for me. And that kind of that was it. That was fun enough that it overcame any logical questions of like yeah why would they get this guy i mean mm. i can like falcon got his ass kicked by ant-man in the in ant-man so i guess he would think oh yeah he's probably be useful in a fight but you're right he doesn't really have a dog in the fight he's just i think really they're both there just because the characters are really enthusiastic to be involved mm-hmm. which i think was the most charming thing about both of them when uh when paul Rudd <laughs> meets captain america and he just kind of like touches his chest Mm. And he's just kind of amazed by the fact that he's there. And he says, uh, thank you for thanking of me, <laughs> which was a line that made me laugh a lot. And, and it was just like that, that whole bit was just made me think, oh yeah, I really enjoyed Ant-Man. <laughs> I really like what Paul Rudd does with that character. Mm. Um, so, so for a large part of those things, I think were just because they wanted to maybe include those characters because by their very nature, they're going to be a bit more enthusiastic about this fight as opposed to all these people who, are friends with each other and consider it all to be a fairly grim prospect than having to fight each other. Mm. Having mm. these two outsiders who are just there to inject some kind of fun, positive energy. Uh, is pr- may- Maybe that's just they thought, hey, these guys could probably tell jokes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought, did you, I mean, it'd be interesting to hear your thoughts on it. The Marvel films, probably since the first Avengers, have probably quite rightly been criticised for having weak villains. Mm. I love Daniel Brawl as an actor. I think yep. he's great. And I thought he was great for most of this film. Um, but then when it was revealed that he was the big bad mm. and was acting purely out of revenge for something that happened in Sokovia, it felt a little bit like his motivation was somewhat hollow. And also, it's essentially just a pissed off bureaucrat. <laughs> yeah, I, I would definitely agree that his ultimate motivation was... I mean, they tried to play it off as thematically connected because he his family died as a result of the avengers action and he wanted to destroy the avengers as a result and then that chimes with black panther whose father was killed by his character zemo mm-hmm. which is a name that is very hard to say without kind of laughing because it's a it's it's one of those names that you see written down on a comic book and you think oh that's fine but mm-hmm. if anyone tries to say it it's kind of like a, a, you know supreme emperor snoke or whatever his name is in force awakens it's not a particularly menacing name um but like yeah when when it's revealed that his whole thing is his vengeance it does kind of cheapen it a little bit as opposed to you know maybe hinting oh he's part of some bigger conspiracy he's working for thanos or something you know or he's trying to do something setting up for future films it it felt even though i think it it kind of chimed somewhat nicely with the fact that you know uh, Black Panther had lost his dad, and that made him want to kill erroneously made him want to kill uh, Bucky, 
And also, you know, Stark finds out that Bucky killed his parents and then decides that at the last minute he wants to kill him, which I, I honestly felt would have been a better driving force for the whole film as opposed to just setting up that fight at the end. Mm-hmm. Because the whole, for people who don't know, and why would you be listening to this if you haven't watched it? Because we've just revealed everything. Um, <laughs> you know, the whole fit, the whole thing is, is it kicks off about the Sokovia Accords, which is this UN thing that is going to force the Avengers to be uh, supervised by the UN and only deployed when they think it's appropriate. Uh, and that kind of hints at the original comics thing, which is all about superheroes registering and, you know, that that bureaucratic basis is, is kind of limp and doesn't feel like an actual interesting conflict that would cause the characters to oppose each other. It feels like very thin gruel as an inciting incident. Whereas... The thing I liked about Black Panther's motivation is he was he thought that Bucky had killed his dad and so he wanted to kill him and he was the only person in the film who wanted to kill one of the other superheroes. Everyone else, you know, was being very civil, you know, mm. to give the war and uh, the the title an un, uh, unintended kind of uh, aptness. Every, no one wanted to kill each other. So, and I kind of thought that if this was a similar to the previous two Captain America films, more stripped down and less a avengers sequel which is essentially what it is Mm -hmm. then it would have just been okay black panther thinks that bucky has killed someone he and cap have to go on the run and figure out what's going on but instead that ended up just being one thread or you know iron man discovers the truth and then goes after them that would have been a more compelling reason for those characters to be in conflict other than i disagree slightly about how the un should be involved hmm yeah, there was no real attempt to find a middle ground. Mm. Although, kind of, I'm not sure what that would have been. Did you feel the whole way through that, like, there are a couple of characters who are being given a, a bit of short shrift in this? I mean, uh, Black Widow is kind of one. She seems to just do the same thing in all the Avengers films. And also Falcon is a character mm. that purely exists for utility. Yeah, and occasionally to have a, a funny line. About Mark Furman. Yeah. Where the fuck did that come from? <laughs> it did make me wonder if... Because uh, I, I wasn't paying attention to see if uh, Anthony Mackie's uh, lips were in shot at that point. I wondered if that was added in after the People vs. O.J. Simpson became popular. Plus, isn't he also playing Johnny Cochran in a new film? Oh, he may very well be. Oh, I, yeah. think I, read, I think I read that the other day. That would be a weird bit of synergy. Yeah. Um. um yeah, but but I I was thinking mainly of when he and Bucky are stuck in the VW and yeah, the the Beetle and uh, Bucky asks him if he can move his seat forward and he just goes no. It's just like he he is he, Anthony Mackie is just, he's one of those actors like uh, like a Bobby Carnavale or a Jeffrey Dean Morgan who just seems to have chemistry with absolutely everyone he's on screen with, mm. uh, and that's one of the reasons why it's kind of frustrating that in this film he was often off on the sidelines because whenever he showed up you're like hey this guy's great <laughs> oh now he's not in the film anymore you know um but i definitely also felt that it definitely sidelined scarlet witch and vision mm. to the extent that those two were off in a compound on their own for a great chunk of the film yeah uh, and then hawkeye just showed up a lot of the film felt like me just kind of for me it felt like just moments where you remembered oh yeah they're in this because mm. all these characters just kind of like showed up and it was um very odd it kind of made it feel like like in uh in parks and recreation when characters who had left would suddenly come back like where you'd be in the middle of a scene and then suddenly Anne would show up and you'd be like oh yeah i really liked you on the show and you're not on it anymore mm. um so yeah it definitely felt very a lot of the characters felt so kind of sidelines that when they showed up it was genuinely a surprise that they were still still even involved yeah, and that brings me on to kind of another point, and it's one that has been made a few times by other people. But it's it's kind of like we've got all these threads that are being thrown into, mm. uh, in, and in some ways they're kind of seeds that kind of will grow into other storylines. Like I mentioned earlier, Andy Serkis is, is in Avengers 2, and he has a significant part that he's not instantly forgotten, but he is, I've forgotten what he did already. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? But I remember mm-hmm. he was in it, but I remember that he's also going to be part of the black, the black Panther storyline. Um, when that comes out and then we've got stuff like Martin Freeman's character coming into this one. And we've got the hints of Daniel Brawl, who he really is. There's a, there's a comic book character, I believe called Baron Nemo, which makes the name even stupider. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so we, and uh, Crossbones, 
the guy who they spent ages setting up at the end of Captain America 2, only for him to be then brought in uh, for this one and then kind of killed almost immediately for a kind of plot function. It feels a bit like these are parts of a TV show, uh, of a sprawling TV show like a Game of Thrones, for example, where there's a lot going on, there's a lot of characters, and it's spread over, you know, 10 hours of television and everyone gets kind of even treatment. The problem is with this is that, you know, we have to wait a year between episodes. And the real problem with it is that to kind of use another Game of Thrones analogy, if you're up to date with this season, I'm not going to have a big spoiler, but the Ironborn and Pike come back into it and they haven't been in it for, what, three seasons? And yeah, basically, all of, yeah. all of a sudden you're like, oh, these guys, okay. I kind of feel like I've stopped caring about them ages ago. And now I've got to come all the way back and I'm kind of not into this now because it, it was kind of over before. And when you've got so long between installments and things are just hung or just, just like kind of dropped in there like little clues, I spend most of the time thinking, what, who's this person again? I don't understand what's happening. I didn't understand who that woman was at the funeral who did the reading at all. And I had to lean over to uh, one of the guys I went to see the film with and said, uh, who's that again? Uh, and it was his next door neighbor, was it, who was spying on him? Is that right? Yeah. Didn't understand. I couldn't remember that. And like when, when there's such a big gap and the, the there is so much information spread so thinly, I'm finding it harder to connect the dots. Yeah, I think it was Noel Murray wrote something about this for the, the late lamented Dissolve Mm. where he wrote an article where he was talking about how Marvel were conquering pop culture through television. And the example, he he looked at it in two threads, one of which was that the Marvel Cinematic Universe is essentially a TV show, which happens to release installments yearly. And the other one is that the films are constantly on rotation on TV. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that reinforces that element of it, which is that I'm sure if you turned on any like fx or hbo over the last week you probably could have found all of the the various avengers films kind of well represented and particularly the captain america film so you would have been able to catch up and i feel like that's how they construct their films now which is a development that i am not a fan of i certainly felt that it uh hindered age of ultron quite a little bit again for swimming in a cave wasn't a highlight of of uh, superhero storytelling but you know i when i when i think of the kind of the, the films in the marvel franchise that i like the most they tend to be the ones that either came in phase one because all those films were pretty much self-contained except for the odd reference or the post-credit scenes which you don't really count mm-hmm. or there are things like iron man 3 which was the work of someone who had a very singular vision and basically didn't it didn't really connect to anything that was going on it was just a shane black vehicle that happened to star marvel characters Mm. Um, or ant-man which is a heist comedy heist film that just happens to at one point brush up against the avengers Mm. Uh, and i feel like thor the dark world was pretty bad for this avengers age of ultron was hurt by it winter soldier kind of had elements but it, it felt more like it was an inciting incident for change because its plot line ended up directly affecting marvel's agents of shield and stuff like that it felt self-contained in and of itself even though it was connecting to everything else mm-hmm. um, and i kind of at this point I, I go in with that sort of stuff baked in i guess or or i kind of go in weighing those things already where i'm thinking okay how how well does it handle the fact that it feels like a tv show as opposed to wishing that it wasn't a tv show Mm. and so that's why that doesn't bother me so much i felt this one handled it better than like age of ultron did in the when it had to do the kind of the whole okay this is picking up an old plot line or whatever it at least did things it did it in a way that i found you know uh, entertaining and and, uh, charming in some instances I think maybe a five minute previously on, because you know, you know, like I mean, it's like if you get this when you watch a whole bunch of shows back to back, and you get the previously on, mm-hmm. and they they mention something that hasn't been mentioned in ages, and you're like, oh yeah, that will come up. <laughs> Do you know the, what I mean? The previously on for the season premiere of Game of Thrones felt like it was the entire episode. <laughs> It felt, I think it went for at least five or six minutes because they just had so much stuff that they were picking up on. And, and something like that 
you know, at a certain point, you wonder if they should even just introduce that because in having it occur in dialogue, you know, delivered by William Hurt doesn't really work as well because because on one level it's very perfunctory and it's just kind of like oh and yeah this is what happened in new york and washington dc and sokovia uh and the on another level is like a, a good proportion of the audience are thinking we know this we saw the movie that's why i'm here yeah it's like so that there's it's i think honestly at a certain point a previously on feels like or even just Disney should just start printing out like program notes and they will just hand them out to you as you pit buy your ticket mm. and they'll say, you know, read this before the trailers start and you'll be up to date. Yeah, yeah. Maybe like a flow chart for like, have, <laughs> have you seen Avengers part one? Yes. Uh, I don't like to see what you've seen and what information you're going to know. Um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I'd hate, I think, I wonder how alienating that film would have been had you not seen all of the Marvel films. I imagine it would be pretty alienating because like, some of the characters are introduced like like vision how do you explain vision if you you haven't seen age of ultron well, like i mean a giant I, I, purple man in a cape who also happens to wear a nice blazer yeah like he, he, had, he had a very smart casual thing going on didn't he in this film yeah uh, which apparently is something that uh, he does in the comics an awful lot and i think it's a great it's amazing how well paul bettany pulls that off because it should mm. be on its face ridiculous, and it is to an extent. But there's something about the way that he plays it where you think, "No, that's that's the sort of thing that I could imagine Vision wearing." He seems very square, even mm. though he can fire lasers from his forehead. Yeah, um, I can't. I mean, I don't know whether this has been noted before. It probably has. Cause it's pretty obvious. But like, Vision just feels like Doctor Manhattan to me, mm. but like with a laser shooting out of his yeah. head. Yeah, um, I, I I imagine he must be part of the inspiration for Dr. Man. I mean, Superman, I think, is probably a bigger inspiration, but certainly any superhero character who has very nebulously defined powers mm. uh, fed into the creation of Dr. Manhattan. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a word on the ending. I This is perhaps my second biggest gripe about the film. And mm. if I think about it, it probably is harder for me to get past than the first the first being that it's a cynical film. This gripe is about uh, the ending, which is Captain America and Iron Man uh, have a pretty decent scrap uh, mm-hmm. in this kind of Siberian research facility. And it's kind of pretty brutal. And, and Captain America kind of... He, he, I mean, he might have crossed the line because he very nearly kills Iron Man with his shield. And he kind mm-hmm. of just wedges it nearly through his heart, nearly killing him. And then he kind of walks away having defended his friend, even though perhaps it wasn't the right thing to do at that time. Um, and it's a huge moment. There's a lot of drama to it. And uh, there's a great line where he gets up to walk away with Bucky and, and uh, Tony Stark is laying on the floor, barely kind of alive, saying that shield doesn't belong to you. It's the property of the US government or whatever. And then he drops it, which given how he was given that shield and what it meant to him and his history as a, as a hero and what he represented during the, the Second World War is you know, quite a big moment. And I'm thinking, oh, God, this is going to be set up quite nicely because there's a real rift between these two superheroes now. That's there's, that's going to be hard to come back from. Mm. But Captain America just writes him a letter saying, sorry, <laughs> and if you need me, I'll be around, all right? And and Stark's like, hmm, sure. The end. Yeah, that is, uh, it is terribly anticlimactic. I remember I saw, uh, I think it was Eric Davis wrote a review which basically said, uh, why Captain America Civil War is the Empire Strikes Back of the Marvel series. And part of, and you kind of think if the film had ended on the shot where drops his shield, that could probably, you could make that analogy and it would more or less fit because that's a bleak moment in the history of this series. This team that have been brought together have been fatally rent asunder mm-hmm. and, you know, they've tried to kill each, they've very nearly tried to kill each other. A bunch of them are in prison you know and and it's going to be very bleak and then suddenly oh yeah all these guys are free now and tony is just kind of ah you know boys will be boys Mm. Uh, and it it really would just be kind of like if at the end of empire strikes back if you cut from them staring out at the nebula when they're on the medical frigate and then suddenly it cut to holland's carbonite and he winked at you (laughs) it's very deflating to just have stanley come along and make a joke about tony stank which oh is, god, that was pretty grueling. Yeah, yeah. I mean, fair play to Don Cheadle for almost making it work by saying, "I'm never going to let that go." 
Yeah, but, but kind of uh, bringing it, a bit character to it. It is very nearly an almost. It doesn't work at all. And like I, I, I kind of get the Stanley cameo. Dear Marvel, please stop. We get it. <laughs> Stanley wrote these comics. You know, stop giving him lines. <sighs> Just have would... him do what he did in like the Spider-Man films, where he would like pull someone away when mm. a, a bit of uh, masonry is about to crush the head. Yeah, I mean, I liked it. I like it if, like, when, when Spider-Man took his mask off, it was Stanley. <laughs> that would, <laughs> that'd be pretty funny. But going to the ending and being anticlimactic, um, I mean, I'm not hugely au fait with the comics, but I'm pretty sure that one of the main points of the Civil War comic is, doesn't Captain America die? Yeah, he gets assassinated, uh, and I'm not entirely sure on the details. It's been a very long time since I've really cared that much because the Civil War storyline was pretty shitty it wasn't a particularly good thing most crossover events are terrible anyway and civil war wasn't an exception but i'm pretty sure he comes back because no one really stays dead in comics Mm. um but yeah yeah he dies and that's kind of a major thing of it and the the actual storyline of the film is so wildly different from the comics that it doesn't matter that he doesn't die i guess but uh i i kind of was hoping he would just because i thought it would be an amazing thing to have kept secret Mm. Because, like, Chris Evans has been saying in interviews, like, oh, you know, we're going straight into filming Infinity War and stuff like that. And I was thinking, it would be amazing if, like, <laughs> Disney had paid his contract for two mm. more films knowing that he would die just so they could keep the surprise <laughs> hidden for opening weekend of Civil War. Uh, it would have been just unprecedented. And obviously, you know, he didn't because um, he's, like, probably he's arguably the most popular one of the Avengers now. They need to keep him around. So he will probably die in Infinity War. Um, yeah, but yeah, that it 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 definitely is something that happened in the original comics, but the original comics were shitty, so it didn't bother me too much that he didn't die. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, and Marvel will be silly to uh, kill off one of their you know jewels in the crown, as it were. Which uh, it wasn't immediately obvious when this whole Avengers business started that Captain America would be so popular, but uh, Chris mm-hmm. Evans really has made it work. Yeah, he has become or. Prior to this film, I think he had kind of become the moral centre of the film because of that, that is the, the Captain America ethos. Is he is someone who is very much um, at the heart of this this team. He is someone who believes in right and who, you know, at, at various points kind of pushes back against the more cynical or the more nefarious elements of S.H.I.E.L.D.'s operations um, because obviously S.H.I.E.L.D. used to be run by HYDRA. But uh, this one... A, there weren't as many funny jokes for him being out of time. Mm-hmm. There was no easily giftable moment of him saying, I get that reference. Mm. Or uh, pictures of him deciding what he should learn about uh, that has happened in the past 50 years. So clearly he's heard the Beatles by now. Yeah, um, must But also I kind of felt like the moral... This, get, this again gets back to the fact that the reason for the fight uh, between the two, or at least the initial reason, doesn't feel that strong. No. Like if if the conflict was Iron Man has found out that Bucky killed his parents on a mission and is so blinded with rage that he decides he's going to kill him and goes off the reservation, and uh, and Captain America says no, we should he, he should live, we should take him in, we should try and help him, or we should try and you know bring him to justice or whatever. Or if it's Black Panther is the one who you know he thinks that he's responsible for his dad's death and the whole thing is him trying to keep him alive because it's wrong to just kill him for vengeance sake. That would be that would feel kind of compelling, but for there's no kind of moral center of the film, and it's not a kind of like oh they're acting in shades of gray and it's all kind of very serious and political or whatever. It really is just a case where you look at these two guys and you think they both kind of have a point, but I don't really care what their point is. Mm. Uh, I just I just care that apparently this is reason enough that they're going to fight each other in an abandoned airport. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I Which, agree. Which was, for me, the best part. And the, the, the thing that made the film worthwhile to me, that was the moment it clicked, was when you had all of those guys arrayed in an airport and they all got to use their powers against each other, which is, you know, the thing that you want to see if you're going to have 12 superheroes in a film, that their various powers are just going to start intersecting and they're going to start uh, kind of working together, such as the moment when uh, Ant-Man activates his thing to make himself giant and Spider-Man makes a reference to saying, hey, you know that old movie, The Empire Strikes Back? Mm-hmm. Uh, and 8080s him. 
which uh, was something I thought, hey, that'd be funny if they did that. And then they actually referenced it. I thought, hey, I must have written this movie. Mm. It would have been even better if he'd have pulled a lightsaber out and like chopped his guts out, like <laughs> like they do in uh, in Empire Strikes Back, and then Vision flies over and shoots him in the face. Yeah, mm. that would have been a really dark end. Well, been... you could say it, that escalated quickly. Yeah, it certainly would have been a surprise. Mm. That's um... essentially what that airport fight was. It was the scene from Anchorman <laughs> uh, with all the news anchors, but like. Yeah, that is exactly what the fight was. That's exactly what Civil War was. I've, I've just cracked it. Yeah, except uh, in that instance, Paul Rudd, instead of being Brian Fontana, he was the brick of it all. And everyone after him would be like, Steve Steve hit a guy with a plane wing. Yeah. <laughs> you, <laughs> so you should stay low for a few days. <laughs> probably wanted for murder. And uh, also, because um, they're pretty strict on security airports, you can't just be hitting people with plane wings. I've got one last kind of negative note, which mm-hmm. is something that I'm not actually sure is negative because I can't remember. Did, but didn't like Elizabeth Olsen have an accent in the in the last Avengers film? Yeah, and she does. I think in one scene in this, mm. like when they're talking about making that that dish with paprika, mm, paprika. I think she has. Yeah, she has a slight accent there because they're making ethnic food. Yeah, and then um, drops she's... away takes the uh, the Richard Attenborough approach to accents, which is uh, on a scene-by-scene basis. Why why do it in all the scenes when you can just pick a few choice ones to drive the point home? Or uh, uh, Michael Gambon, where every role he does, he will try his hardest for a few scenes, but eventually they all end up being Irish. <laughs> yeah. Most notably as Dumbledore, when uh, particularly in the fourth Harry Potter film, when he shouts... Harry Potter, but instead of being a Dumbledore voice, it's like Harry Potter. <laughs> he's channeling Richard Harris. That's what he's doing. <laughs> he was so drunk on that day they filmed it. Yeah, Harry Potter. Uh, <laughs> I think someone should dub over uh, all of Harry Potter dialogue with Irish just to make it better. I think I, Brendan Gleeson should do all the voices. Yeah. Oh, I, I um. A few weeks ago, I went to Universal Studios uh, and I went on the new Diagon Alley ride, and it was very strange seeing uh, seeing Domhnall Gleeson show up mm-hmm. uh, and being reminded that he played a good character in Harry Potter. He did. Could... Was, he was was he a Weasley? He was. He was the eldest Weasley brother. I want to say Bill, who became an Aura. Uh, yeah, he. So he shows up and he like guides you and tries to protect you on this thing. And all the while, I was thinking, I don't trust you. You mm. blue planets. Mm. I wonder yeah. how many very young children were also confused by seeing uh, General Hooks show up and being very protective. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Last time I saw this guy, he was kind of a space Nazi. <laughs> uh, and it was kind of like a Nuremberg type affair. And he really didn't like a particular type of like kind of planet. And he just kind of wiped him out with a giant laser. Or there's like the 50-year-olds watching you saying, oh, it's that nice man from Brooklyn. Hmm. Yeah, or the hipsters thinking, oh, I love this guy in Frank. But then, <laughs> what's a hipster doing at Harry Potter World, you'd ask yourself? Maybe he was there ironically. Yeah, he's someone who would buy a Hufflepuff uh, scarf and just be like, wear it around all the time. Mm. Like, oh no, they're the cool house. Yeah, Secretly, well, they, they're the cool house. They, they've got badgers on their logo. <laughs> uh, and there's nothing cooler than a badger. Although they do carry TB, so be careful out there. TB's a retro disease though, so... Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, if you're going to get into something antiquated like a disease, <laughs> consumption is the way to go. Fuck, what there? We've gone off the rails here. Um, uh, I think. My, go on. Uh, my main issue with this film, and why I did, I liked it less than uh, Winter Soldier, was that Bucky is dead weight. Mm. He is not a character. <laughs> he yeah. was. Fine when he was a remorseless killer who essentially occasionally showed hints of humanity, but when you try and make him an actual human, he does not seem that demonstrative. Mm, yeah, he's kind of like an emo, like teenager mm. who is 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 acting out. <laughs> I feel um, I kind of um, kind of it's bad that I couldn't really remember what he'd done. I couldn't remember when we started the thing if he was good or bad. That's mm-hmm. probably not the best sign. Yeah, his he definitely... It, it kind of felt like his progression at the end of The Winter Soldier where uh, you know Steve had finally gotten through to him and he had saved his life and you know he had, he seemed to be 
on his way to rehabilitation that seemed to be setting up a much smaller movie about Steve finding him, protecting him, trying to coax him back to being a good guy again, you know, to go through the whole Luke and Vader, I know they're still good in him kind of development, mm-hmm. which in this there was just no room for. Yeah. Yeah. It was so it felt like something that needed to be in a focused small movie, which I imagine is maybe what was intended initially, mm-hmm. but then at a certain point, oh, they got the rights to Spider-Man back, so we need to have Spider-Man in here. And like, oh, we you know, let's just make it an Avengers sequel, which is like fine in its own way, but it did feel as if the 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 bread and butter of the the Captain America films to this point have been relatively focused, character-driven stories that happen to take place with kind of airships falling from the sky onto DC. Whereas this felt like uh, it was an ensemble film in which all of the stories just got crowded out. Mm, mm. It is a um, a suggestion that I've just literally just thought of that would have made Bucky's character more interesting and uh, the ending more interesting. Let's just say that Iron Man finds out that Bucky killed his parents and Bucky lets Iron Man kill him. Mm. And then Captain America and Iron Man fight. Because that would be, A, it would get rid of the dead weight because we have to have another film with Bucky in it. And he's, is he on the run at the end of this? Oh, they put him in the freezer, don't they, in the post-credits scene? Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So he's kind of, he's he's out, out of the game for a bit, which is a good decision because he's, yeah, like you say, dead weight. Um, but it would also give, like, Captain America a reason to be angry of it because like, there's a point where he was like oh, I'm defending my friend and I was like yeah but you just you just found out that dude killed his dad do you know what I mean and his mum just choked her to death but he saw it, it was gross yeah it, it definitely felt as if he was uh, being a little too vehement and his like it, it kind of becomes harder and harder as the film goes along to be hashtag team cap as the mm-hmm. uh, or whatever team captain America team Iron Man you know because like the justification on Iron Man's side is people have died we need people to kind of come in and maybe say, hey, don't destroy whole countries. Uh, and his is, I want to save my friend. And like the f- the longer the film goes on, the more his reason seems incredibly thin and tied up entirely in the notion that we like Bucky, which we don't really because we've only, the only time he's been likable were like the flashback scenes in The Winter Soldier and the early parts of, captain america where he was hardly in it mm, yeah it's a, it's a bit like you know how you'll have a really good friend mm-hmm. and they'll have like some asshole friend that you can't believe they're friends with yes bucky is that friend <laughs> he's just like why are you always so like so into why are you always inviting this guy around he's just got like a tin arm he's an idiot <laughs> Can we talk about, uh, briefly, before we wrap this up, uh, the fact that Dean Pelton was in the film for no reason. And, like, uh, we came out, I went to see it with uh, uh, my board game group, who are all kind of big Marvel fans and also uh, big community fans. And someone said, did Dean Pelton just get the biggest promotion you could ever get <laughs> from being the, the Dean of Greendale to being at MIT? Yeah, that was, that was fun. I knew he was in it because people had mentioned it, but I didn't know what his role was so having him be an administrative person at a a, a university felt like a a nice nod as opposed to like danny Pudi being in the winter soldier where he's just like a tech for hydra i think mm, I, I thought he was a security guard but then uh, I, maybe. My, I don't know which film i'm talking about because it's all one to me yeah now my main concern about infinity war is which community regular is going to have a bit part in it and i personally want to see leonard recast as thanos Mm, I want to see uh, Magnitude uh, <laughs> turn up, pop, pop. Um, I think that'd be pretty funny. I think um, uh, it, that since they don't have a Jarvis anymore, they should just get the guy who played Garrett to just constantly <laughs> shout, Crisis Alert! <laughs> my, yeah, I'd, my, I'd watch it. Uh, my final thought on this is, like, I was trying to think about why, why it was that I enjoyed the film at a certain point, what it was that made me like it, as opposed to... Uh, the first hour or so when I was like, oh, this is fine. Yeah. Um, it's not 91% on Rotten Tomatoes good, but mm-hmm. it's fine. And the reason is that, and this is kind of a grand unifying theory of superhero movies up to this point, is I feel like most 21st century superhero films kind of go out of their way not to feel like comic books. Mm-hmm. 
And I feel this was a reaction to the fantastic crashing and burning of the Batman series in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Whereas they went further along, they became and started to feel more like living comic books and people rejected that. So you get like Blade, X-Men, Spider-Man, you know, the first couple from Sam Raimi and then also, you know, Christopher Nolan's Batman films. Everything's like, oh, we have to ground it all. We have to make it seem realistic so people can relate to these people who have magic powers. Mm. Um and that was like fine, but it meant that they couldn't really embrace the fun of superhero movies, which is, hey, crazy people with powers beating the shit out of each other. Mm. Now, post the the first Avengers, which was the first film that really embraced that, and also uh, X-Men's Days of Future Past, which kind of was very comic booky, and what looks like X-Men Apocalypse, which on the trailer looks like it's really um, steering into the skid of being kind of big and bold and incredibly kind of ludicrous. Mm. Uh, in a way that the early x-men films by the same director definitely did not Mm. it kind of felt like the first half of this film was of the we have to keep things grounded we have to be people sitting and talking about accords and we have to be people in giving kind of solemn eulogies in churches and then at some point it's like everyone's going to start beating the shit out of each other in airport and like that was the point at which i was on board because it felt like all the way through they were thinking we want this to be a comic book movie but we have to kind of lay all this boring track and uh it kind of made me feel in a certain way hopeful for infinity war because it feels like if that's the progression it's going maybe they'll finally get to a point where they don't have to ground it anymore they can just accept these are stories based on you know funny books and we Mm. can just you know go go nuts with it uh as opposed to just kind of trying to ground it all Mm. Um, I mean, I, I suppose feel... Infinity War has got the added bonus of feeling comic booky because the villain is a big fucking purple dude in a floating chair. With a magic hand. <laughs> yeah, with a magic mitten. Yeah. So like, so I, I feel like that the reason I liked it is at a certain point, similar to like when Vision was created in Age of Ultron and you were like, this is the like fucking nerdiest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> then you could kind of then that was what this felt like at a certain point and that's when i kind of got on board with it because it kind of felt like it stopped pretending that it wasn't what it was mm. um, i have to say that like um there was a, a criticism and then i dismissed it for the reasons you've just said which was mm-hmm. i uh have started to notice that like they're kind of they're kind of invincible these superheroes and like yeah. in a point that like they're getting shot at all the fucking time but mm-hmm. captain america will always find a way to block it with the shield uh, and then in this film, Bucky always finds a way to block it with his hand to the point where you're <laughs> yeah. thinking uh, the uh, special forces um, being sent to deal with these people aren't that special. Uh, they could probably just shoot him in the knee and it'd be fine. Um, and then they got to a point where Chadwick Boseman's Bat Panther appears first of all and he's brawling with... Uh, someone on the roof, uh, Bucky, I think he's fighting Bucky on the roof, yeah. and a helicopter turns up and shoots at him, and he just turns around and the bullets hit him. And I'm like, oh, these guys are just <laughs> bulletproof now. And I just thought, mm-hmm. that's ridiculous. And then they can they seem to be able to fall from any height and survive. And I was writing this as a criticism, and then I was like, actually, they're just comic book heroes. <laughs> and mm-hmm. that's what they're supposed to do. So that's actually fine, you know. That's cool. I can mm-hmm. dig that. Because, you know, we don't want someone who's going to, like, stub a toe to go out and deal with fucking Ultron. Do you know what I mean? We want someone yeah. who can, you know, plunge from a great height and you know, get up and, and, and deal the pain at the end. Because uh, that's the point. Um, yeah, it's at... not super. No, yeah. Ex- <laughs> Although I would watch that. <laughs> uh, Super versus Ultron, you know, like Scarlet Witch gets the half of her face blown off with a shotgun at the end. So I'm just trying to spoil the end of Super for you, but yeah, that's a great movie. But yeah, I kind of thought that I, I'm in total agreement with you that um, we have, I mean, moved towards the kind of brownie grey DC films and their kind of like grim seriousness. The you kind of moving towards being actual comic books when they're dealing with stuff like we say. Uh, Thanos and you know Guardians of the Galaxy exists in the same universe technically as all this um, mm. and yeah Vision all the kind of crazy stuff that's happening yeah you've got to embrace it you know ride it don't fight it yeah the only problem I, I kind of had it's directly before the scene in which they're fighting on the roof Captain America tracks Bucky down to his apartment and they're like talking about you know, you've got to come with me, we've got to escape, the special forces are coming, and then he says, no killing, and he says, no one's going to die. And then, like, the next thing he does is he's, like, hitting someone with a cinder block. <laughs> I was like, 
I mean, admittedly, you're not like ripping his head off, mm. but and you know, it's not. We can't verify that you killed that guy, but he's not going to be good after that. Yeah, and I mean, he's <laughs> not even thinking about the emotional impact that that's had <laughs> because I mean, I wouldn't want to be hit in the cinder block, but I'd feel. I'd feel really kind of uh, down on myself. <laughs> I'd have some real kind of self-esteem issues after that. And I don't think he's taken those into account. Yeah. And even Captain America's not exactly going light on those guys. Mm. It's not like like in um, in either Batman Begins or The Dark Knight when Batman has to take down a bunch of guys without killing them and he's like tying them up and you can tell, okay, he's he's hurting these guys, but he's not. he's definitely not killing them. They seem to be in a fair state. Like everything these guys do because they're super powerful villains, you just kind of think, yeah, like half of these guys are not walking again. Mm, that shield's pretty kind of... Yeah, he like throws it at someone and I was like, that thing's gone through metal. Mm. That, thing, that thing has been wedged into stone. If you throw it at someone's chest, mm. like it's gonna shatter them. But it's it, gonna shatter their sternum. Yeah, it just makes a boing kind of frying pan sound effect and it's kind of <laughs> all right. And it's, it's, you know, a bit like the A-Team, you know, like a kind of a truck would blow up and flip <laughs> over but because it's on at two o'clock on a Saturday afternoon. You do have a shot of like the guys getting out and dusting themselves down. Um, that, that basically does happen in the airport fight when uh, Ant-Man throws that truck and then it enlarges and just lands on Rhodey and explodes. It's like, ah, he's fine. Mm. He's flying around in a minute. Yeah, that was one of my favourite gags when he was like, oh, I thought it was a water truck or something like that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, Rhodey does get um, paralysed, I guess. That's what happens, isn't it? He yeah. gets paralysed. But then, Roughed up. But then uh, he just makes him some robot legs and it's all good. Yeah, it's, he is the one kind of concessions to the, to the idea that, yeah, at the heart of it, him and Tony are just like, bags of meat in these suits mm. they they should be just um blended kind of collections of organs at this point mm. just be so. corned beef uh, <laughs> in a eat, they, i think those suits just have a little key on the side that can allow access <laughs> just pours out mm. yeah absolutely so that, that's kind of it for civil war i mean i did enjoy it. i i i kind of i mean the things i did enjoy i mean i really enjoyed Ch- chadwick boseman as uh as black panther yeah, I really enjoyed Superman. Uh, sorry, Spider Man. <laughs> uh, I really angered some nerds because I went to see it at Cineworld, and in mm-hmm. in the Cineworld foyer, they've got a kind of big sculptures of of Batman and Superman there, mm-hmm. and there were some people having their picture taken next to them. And I walked past, and I said, "Are these guys in Civil War?" And the people <laughs> having their photos taken did not look happy. At the point when they got to the Siberian. When um when Zemo got to the Siberian outposty thing, and he looked at the uh, the freezers the um of these kind of super soldiers they've been created, one of the guys looked exactly like Henry Cavill, <laughs> and I was like, ah, they've been hiding the the biggest crossover of them all. <laughs> yeah, it's like Superman's just going to start showing up. Mm. Could you imagine if that would have been? Superman would have been in it and then he killed Captain America and it was like the, the biggest double secret of all time. People just wouldn't know what to do. It would have, I think they would have just burned every cinema down. Mm. It's like, that would have been the moment that just destroyed a whole medium. Yeah, yeah. I did like Spider-Man uh, and I would look forward to seeing a, I'm looking forward more to seeing a Spider-Man film than I was before I watched Civil War because the yeah. idea of more Spider-Man didn't really fill me with joy. Um, and like you say, the airport fight was pretty peerless. That's a that's an amazing piece of action cinema. Yeah, that I think if if that hadn't been in there, I would have had a much dimmer view of the whole film for for many of the reasons we've talked about the lack of any real stakes or any kind of sense that this is a conflict that it was inevitable. Mm-hmm. You know, it, as opposed to something that just kind of happened because they had a slight disagreement about contracts. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that that whole sequence was just such pure joy and seemed to be like oh this is the sort of thing that seemed impossible when iron man started and they talked about the idea of doing the avengers when it's like oh that's never gonna happen no one's ever gonna watch a thor movie no one's ever gonna go and watch a captain america movie Mm. so for it to actually happen it's like oh this is this is the reason why they wish they started on this whole mcu trip so like that that alone justified it to me and also the fact that this whole film is just populated with actors that I like and characters that I enjoy spending a bit of time with. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it does make a huge difference. Yeah, it's kind of faint praise, but it certainly is. Like when you have stuff like 
Jurassic World or whatever, like these these blockbusters that have very little charm or kind of personality to them, having films that have even just a hint of it, you know, I mean, maybe it's just a sign of how terrible blockbusters are in general. But, you know, it's like any any kind of oasis in a desert, I guess. Mm. Could you imagine, like, I'm just thinking about the, the Justice League movie and thinking about how how much kind of fun and time we've spent with, you know, Captain America and, and Iron Man and Thor and Hulk and, you know, even the kind of the smaller characters like Falcon and, and War Machine and, and kind of latterly Ant-Man and people like that who kind of are fun to watch and think about, well, I'm going to have to spend two and a half hours with Ben Affleck, Henry Cavill. I think Jason Momoa, I know, as he's he was in that great episode of Drunk History. Um, and Cal Drogo. It was Cal Drogo. Yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, they're, they're hedging their bets on on people enjoying spending a lot of time with people they haven't enjoyed spending time with. Yeah, Kevin from uh, We Need to Talk About Kevin. Oh, is, the Flash. is he? Oh, he's the Flash, is he? Um, yeah. Yeah, I certainly didn't enjoy the last time I spent time with that guy. <laughs> but yeah, it's yeah, it's it's supposed to be fun. And that airport scene is is like super fun. Yeah, that my my big regret about Batman versus Superman is that it wasn't a big enough flop to completely derail the Justice League thing in the way that Amazing Spider-Man two derailed Sony's plans for like a Sinister Six movie and a Venom movie and a Rhino spin off mm. because that was such the most that was the most spectacular climb down in recent memory mm. that it would have been amazing to see DC try and do the same thing. That was going to be a Rhino spin off. Yeah, because like uh, Paul Giamatti's in it, like for one scene at the end, and it's like, oh yeah, this guy's going to be a bigger deal in a later movie, and you're just kind of like, this, this all sounds terrible. You've just been so kind of arse backwards about this whole thing. Mm. So to see it uh, fall apart was quite a thing, and I'm kind of disappointed we didn't get to see that with DC because it would have been amazing to say for them to go from we have twenty movies planned over the next six years to go from to yeah, we're just going to let Marvel make these movies now. Fuck it. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and uh, speaking of shared universes, just like, the last thing we say on this, um, it was announced in the news this week that Russell Crowe was joining Tom Cruise's The Mummy movie. Did you see this? I did, yeah. Which, did you see uh, who he's playing? N- no, who he, is he playing? He's playing Dr. Jekyll. Oh, God. Uh, that is what we call, listeners, a fucking terrible idea. Oh, yeah, he's, such, he's got such range... <laughs> you can play both of those parts convincingly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just like throw telephones at people. <laughs> I think that would be really good. But like, that is so spurious to take like the mummy, a kind of like high adventure in the kind of, kind of exotic locales, and take a, a Victorian kind of London scientist and squeeze that in somehow. Just to make, just to lay the 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 kind of tra- you know the the tracks for his own movie, and just like, oh god, this is the League of Gentlemen already, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen all over again. I wish it was the League of Gentlemen. Mm, so do I. But... Russell Crowe playing Tubbs. Mm, what's all this trouble? We'll have no shouting here. Uh, the... I would I would watch the living shit out of Russell Crowe as doing all of the League of Gentlemen characters, but with T- no Tom Cruise as Papa Lazarou. <laughs> Yeah, you're my wife now, Dave. Yeah, that would be. Imagine Crystal Walken as Papa Lazaro. <laughs> you're my wife now, Dave. It would be it'd be, it'd be fantastic. Or Michael Gambon just doing it Irish, <laughs> because we've established he's into that. Um, but yeah, anyway, that crossovers, you know, it reeks of madness. The thing about Russell Crowe is he actually does have a, a lot of range, but it's only when he puts on a huge amount of weight. Mm-hmm. When he like becomes really schlubby. So I'm I'm into the idea of him playing Dr. Jekyll and, and Mr. Hyde if for the Dr. Jekyll part he has to put on a shitload of weight and then they have to stop production for like twelve months <laughs> so that he has to lose it all. <laughs> yeah. To film the other halves of his scenes. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Although they'll probably just do it with CGI. Um which oh, yeah. speaking of which, creepy young Robert Downey Jr. face. Yeah, I was glad it was I'm glad they revealed that that was a computer simulation because um the the idea that that was just how they were going to do things from now on in fiction uh, creeped me the hell out. Mm, it was weird enough to see Michael Douglas uh, younging up uh, oh, yeah. in Ant Man, but for Robert Downey Jr. because like in both cases I could remember when those actors were that age, 
Um, Jeff Bridges so in Tron Legacy. Yeah, it's, it's just creepy as fuck, man. Yeah, that was that was that was the most convincing that I've seen so far, and also therefore the most terrifying. To just be reminded, just like, oh yeah, remember when this guy was like the lead in like romantic comedies and Brett Easton Ellis adaptations? Yeah, yeah, it's creepy, man. Anyway, everyone, that is uh, your lot on the subject of Captain America colon Civil War. Thanks as always for listening. If you've enjoyed the show, please subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher or Player FM. And if you really enjoyed the show, leave us a little review, why don't you? Uh, you can find us on Twitter at SRS underscore podcast and on Facebook too. We've also got our website, which is SRSpodcast.com. We'll be back next week with uh, drugs, uh, lots of drugs. Um, and we promise that really will be it because we're not seeing Civil War again this week. Uh, until then, it is goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. <laughs> <laughs>